Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food food, and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED, or your travel advisor. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Lizelle Wellbeing Show, the podcast that brings you your weekly wellness wisdom you can trust. And thank you to all who have sent in messages about the series, Hi to B, who says, I only just discovered this podcast in May 2022, and I'm so glad I did. I've gone right back to the start, listening to every episode. Oh, come on, B, every episode. There are hundreds of them. Have you done nothing else? Wow, that's impressive. She goes on to say, I could listen to Liz all day and the breadth of topics being covered are interesting, informative, fun and fascinating. My favourite new podcast. B, thank you. My team and I were especially chuffed to read that. What lovely comments. Thank you. Well, whether you have just found us like B or whether you've been with us from day one for this podcast, you are all very, very welcome. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find me at social media. That's at Lizelle Me or my team at Lizelle Wellbeing. And don't forget, it would be great if you could leave us that all-important review on your podcast platform of choice, because it really does help other people to find us and maybe get the expert help that they need too. And on to today's guest. She is an actress, an award-winning filmmaker and a writer. And her new book, due to be released anytime now, is a celebration of something so many women and men can find tricky to talk about or even name a taboo which she feels can be problematic and lead to a whole host of health issues. She is Mika Simmons and her book, published on the 4th of August, is called The Happy Vagina. Mika, welcome. Hello, Liz. How is your vagina today? Um, my goodness. Do you know, that is that is a seriously opening question, isn't it? I'll come back to that in just a moment. I described you as an actress, a filmmaker and a writer, but you're also a podcast host and your own podcast is also called The Happy Vagina. It absolutely is. I sense a theme. It, it is called The Happy Vagina. We did a panel back in 2019 for International Women's Day and it was called How to Make Your Vagina Happy. I hosted it and it was really fun and I got this amazing response and I said to someone, do you think I should do this as a podcast? And they said, yes. So on I went. And I mean, I can't tell you the trials and tribulations. I'm thrilled with the title and I think it's really fantastic and says exactly what it is meant to, except for the fact 
that the word vulva is missing. But other than that, I love the title, but I cannot tell you, Liz, my emails go into junk all the time and yes. brands won't work with us. And this week I had a, a conversation with a podcast platform that said, oh, we're not sure about you calling your podcast vagina. And I'm <sighs> like, okay, game on. Yeah. Let's do more. Yes. Let's do more. Well, you know, it's a scary fact, isn't it? That if you just type in vagina or vulva, you don't get all those lovely health references. You just get porn. Porn. And, or you end up in spam or junk. I don't know quite know how or why that has happened, but that seems to be a very female centric misnomer. Well, it's a big industry porn and, but so is women's health. So is women's health. Yes. I mean, what's really interesting is they're two patriarchal systems, both created by men and both of them make a so lot of money. And yeah. Porn. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they make a lot of money. But I think in the internet's defence, I think it has got a bit better at silencing some of the explicit sexual content that used to come up when you Googled certain anatomical words. Because let's face it, and I, I always make everyone laugh when I say this, but honestly, I really don't think the vagina is any different to the elbow. It's a word that describes no. part of our body. And yes, it is the seat of the goddess and where the babies <laughs> come out and where all things are created. However, it's just an anatomical word. Come on, let's catch up, everyone. Yes. yes. Well, you've done so much. It's kind of hard to know where to start, really. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the founding of the Lady Garden Foundation. Yeah. And we had Jenny Halpern Prince on the show not that long ago. And this is an amazing charity that raises awareness of gynecological cancers. Yeah. And you're also a co-founder, is that right, or of the Ginsburg Women's Health Board? Absolutely, yes. And that's all about eliminating gender health bias in the NHS. Yeah, absolutely. That's such I mean, a these, fun these, project. These are, well, I mean, you say a fun project, but these are massive projects. Mm. And coming as an actress, as a filmmaker, as a writer, you know, it seems like a huge understatement to say that you've got women's sexual health, you know, right at the forefront of, mm. of your work and everything that you do. What was your background? How, how did you kind of end up owning the vagina mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it i'm going to change my personal instagram handle to <laughs> i own the vagina <laughs> um at the moment my personal instagram handle just says yes please but i think they mean the same thing i own the vagina <laughs> yes please <laughs> uh yeah i suppose my story is a sad one i mean my early years i had a mother who was very heavily involved in the second wave of feminism so we had activists in our house growing up and a lot of women who were at that stage in the kind of you know late 70s exploring their own intimacy so there were vagina examining kind of workshops in my house with mirrors and stuff so i grew up around it and i if i'm honest i have a very mixed feeling around it because while I am grateful that I had that start in life, it was also as a young person quite extreme. So it had an impact on me finding myself. It does feel sometimes like I've spent my entire life trying to work out who I am within the quite dogmatic ideas that surrounded me in my family home. However, if you're going to have dogmatic ideas in your family home, I'd prefer them to be about positive liberation than the kind of like more, you know, right wing uh, shutdown sort. Mm -hmm. And then really Mm -hmm. sadly, just after I left drama school, so I 
finished my training. I'd got a huge job in a period drama. It's all I'd ever wanted. And literally, I'd just finished filming it. And I got a terrible piece of news, which is that my mother had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And mm. I did not know very much about ovarian cancer. It was during a period of time of history in terms of healthcare where cancer was still being whispered. It was only, you know, 20 years ago. However, it was still the C word and it was still being whispered. Yes. So, and I didn't, I didn't know what the ovaries were. I mean, you know, since starting yes. the Happy Vagina podcast, I've discovered that there's no shame in that because apparently the medical system only realised that there was such a thing called an ovary in the 19th century, Liz. The 19th really? century. So, mm. you know, I don't blame myself, but I just, it was a huge shock. I didn't understand the serious nature of ovarian cancer. I didn't understand that there was a very poor success rate in treatment of it. And when mum told me, she told me, she wasn't going to die and this wasn't going to get her and then she died nine months later oh gosh so, i'm so sorry yeah so it was it that and really so the, the 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 combination of those two experiences really fueled me and for the sort of 10 years after losing mum i kept saying to people i want to do something to make change in women's health but i couldn't quite work out what it was and then what happened is that my next door neighbor I live in a townhouse in London and I'm in a flat and my next door neighbour, she's like in the stairwell one day and she said to me, um, I'm doing my dissertation into breast cancer and I'm at the Royal Marsden and I'm still, you know, Avon is sponsoring me. And I said, oh, that's funny. I lost my mum to ovarian cancer. And she said, oh, Mika, that's what I want to dedicate my life to. I want to dedicate my life to making change for ovarian cancer. And, you know, it was just such a, a, a serendipitous moment. And Dr. Susanna Banerjee, two years later, became the head of oncology at the Royal Marsden, leading the research team into ovarian cancer. She was the first woman to be leading that team. She was very young at the time. She was only in her 30s, Indian descent, um, had been to, to Cambridge, I believe. She would be telling me off it's probably Oxford, but one of the two of them. And she knocked on my door one day and said, you know, I'm, I've got this job that I just described. And she wondered if I'd do some fundraising for her. And I said, I will, but only if I can do activism and education around it too like it's not in my nature to be someone that just does fundraising and in all honesty I, I'm, I'm not very good at it I'm not very good at fundraising I'm really good at making noise I'm very good at being loud and um, that's kind of where Ginsburg Women's Health Board comes in I suppose which is mm -hmm. that Ginsburg is a campaign platform where anything that needs to be shouted about we make noise about and it's got no red tape and we don't need to fundraise there's no money we don't need money we're basically mm -hmm. a group of women who believe that the gender health gap is actively impacting women's lives all over the world but you know the UK has one of the worst gender health gaps in the world so we just make noise when we want to when someone asks us to and it's really mm -hmm. fun <laughs> it sounds it I'd definitely like to be part of your tribe how do you define then the gender health gap what does that mean in practical terms for example within the NHS well I suppose one of the things that I just said is a great example which is that until the 19th century, our medical system did not know that the ovaries were part of a woman's body. And the history of it, Liz, is that, which is all in my book, by the way, when I came to write the book with her vagina, I was like, I can't write this book unless I give a little potted history about what went wrong in women's health. And in a nutshell, before the medical system that we have today was created and then enhanced and grew to what it is, we had much more 
kind of folky shamanism, midwifery, herbs. That was our medical system. You know, it was, it was hippie, right? It was like, mm-hmm. and then as science started to progress and people started to understand the human body more, that movement and that system of medicine was led by men and more and more women got outlawed women's bodies were not included in some of the examinations so you'll know that Leonardo da Vinci this exceptional artist and we all look he's got those wonderful sketches of the human anatomy right they're amazing and he used animals dissected animals to draw the women's bodies the internal no, yeah I didn't know that yeah that's because, shocking. so so that that's the inkling that's how it all started and then women were banned from being doctors and midwifery was banned for a long time and still is in some countries. In many states in America, midwifery is still legal. So essentially, we've had a, a medical system that has been born out of a male viewpoint. The male body then became the norm. So no one thought along the way is a drug that is given to a man as appropriate for a woman's body and her makeup with her hormone changes and everything that goes mm. on in her body. Nobody thought about that until quite recently. And of course, we are now having these discussions and scientists are taking that into account. And then the other thing that happened quite tragically is there was a, I think it was in the 70s, a trial that happened, a drug trial where it really impacted women's potential to give birth and women started to be removed from clinical trials. So the timeline on it is that then women... And, and I mm. listen, I think people at the time were trying to do good. Like, while I do get quite cross about some of these things, and I think the banning of women from being doctors, I think probably was just pure misogyny and sexism. But I do think that in some of the decisions that were made, the people that were running the systems were trying to make good decisions for human beings, but obviously excluding women from clinical trials is devastating for women. And an example is, as you you probably have read the headlines, one really classic example is the endometriosis, which is a very, very dangerous condition and often takes seven years to be diagnosed because yes. GPs don't really understand the symptoms of it. And I think just to conclude, Liz, like, one of the things that I think that I, that I say a lot when I do keynotes or I'm talking on the podcast is just this. It's really important to understand that a woman's body has these two mammoth changes in it during our monthly cycle. You know, the shedding of the blood of the period and the ovulation when the eggs get ready to, they percolate and get ready to choose the sperm that they want to, because obviously I'm sure you know, but the egg does choose the sperm. It's not an army of sperm, but you know, like those two moments in a woman's monthly cycle are, men don't have that. And so a woman going to the doctors and trying to tell a doctor that she's got this severe pain, but it may not be the same every month and all that. So the woman's body is very mercurial. You know, like it changes all the time. So trying to get a grip for us as individuals on, is that okay or isn't it okay? I can't work out what's going on. It's a challenge. Mm. Well, of course, I've been working a lot over the last few years with perimenopause and menopause. Mm. And what I've noticed is some absolutely shocking lack of information, education amongst some medics. There was even a, a consultant, a consultant obstetrician gynecologist who I guess is supposed to know about these things, who told a friend of mine that she didn't need any more testosterone because women didn't need it. Mm. And when she replied, yes, but we make more testosterone in our ovaries than we do estrogen. Yeah. His response was, really? Yeah. 
And you think, hold on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Where is the knowledge coming from here? Why have you not been trained in this? Why has nobody taken the time to educate our medics so that they can help women? Yeah. And hopefully this will now change. And with organizations like yours, like the Ginsburg Women's Health yeah. Board, and certainly with things like the Lady Garden Charity yeah. and the Menopause Charity, and you know, so many more things, so much more awareness. But it is a crazy situation, isn't it? Where women are now actually having to go in and educate their own medics. It is crazy. But I would say on that note, you know, I just recently discovered that they're discovering that breast milk is potentially got a major, um, I'm going to say, protein in it that could be a natural and very significant cure for bladder cancer. And I think one of the things that I really advocate for is us having agency over our own bodies or taking that back. So while I completely agree with you that it is wrong that we are having to teach our medics about our own bodies, I agree with you that from the stance point of the misogyny that's happened to women and women's bodies. However, as a as a tribe, human beings as a whole, I actually think we all need to step up for ourselves and Mm -hmm. understand the wisdom of our bodies more. Like when you hear something like that, that there's breast milk can potentially heal bladder cancer. It's like, come on, everyone, let's stop giving the power to the medics. Let's deeply get to know our own bodies, men and women, whatever your sexuality, Mm. get to know your own body and stop being a child (laughs) and being like, oh, doctor, what's wrong with me? Go in with the diary that goes, this is what's happened. I would like to go and see a specialist who will look at my kidney, my bladder or whatever. Like go in and like take responsibility for yourself. Yes, because it's your body. I mean, it's the the whole thing about your body, your choice. Yeah. And now this new directive actually that's part of the NICE guidelines about informed mutual decision making. Yeah. So you have to have, you you are taken along the journey with your healthcare giver. Yeah. And I do say to people who contact me a lot because they get stonewalled, particularly about getting HRT, for example, I say, don't forget, you know, it's a national health service yeah. and your doctor is, is a service provider. Yeah. They might not like to be reminded of that, but actually, yeah. you know, you, you are going as a taxpayer to get your service. Yeah. And so, yes, go in, as you say, really well informed and say which service, you know, you'd yeah. like to have access to. Yeah. Now, more than 20 years after you started acting, you wrote and directed your first film, Rain Stops Play. Yes. And that was a comedy about sex it was. and the sexes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a little bit of a theme building. <laughs> you went on to win the Silver Remy, is that right, for Best Comedy Short yeah. at the Houston Film Festival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. Where did the seed for that idea come from? Oh, it was actually, I'd been writing for a while. So I'd written some plays which hadn't been produced and I had been trying to move my writing practice into film. And I think as a writer, short film is traditionally where one would start for all the obvious reasons. Financing them is easier, less time, you know, but it's a very specific format. And I'd been struggling to find a story that would fit into a short format and then I was having a coffee with a friend one day and they told me this true story about a friend of theirs about a man who'd had a mistaken identity accidentally sex texting a man in his (laughs) middle age who 
is married and rather inappropriately is sex texting a younger art student. I mean, literally, I wrote it just before the whole Weinstein Me Too thing happened. Mm. So it couldn't have been, it was, it was kind of like, I was like, this is wild. My film's about what's going on in the world. But, um, he accidentally texts the wrong person. There's a mistaken identity as per would happen in a great Shakespeare play. And he's, and he actually ends up texting one of his very high net worth clients. And it's the, and Sharon <gasps> Morn plays her fantastically. And it's Emmy Waterhouse. Oh, he's fabulous. Young. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> I went home and wrote it and it got financed quickly. And, and everyone I sent it to, it was just a very easy process actually. I think I always look for doors opening and if doors don't mm-hmm. open, then I move away from things. And because as you said at the beginning, I do lend my heart, my soul and my mind to quite a few different things. And if the doors open, I flow with it. And if they don't, and with Rainstock's play, the doors opened. And then you've gone on recently, you've been directing Joanna Lumley in a short film about ovarian cancer. Was that influenced by your own experience with your mother? So I've done three shorts. So Rainstock's play was the first. Then 18 months ago, I did Breach, produced by Sally Wood. And that was Jodie Richardson. And that's doing really well on the circuit. We won a few nice awards for that too. Uh, Another comedy, self-penned. And then at the beginning of this year, Mark Oxby, who is an actor currently understudying Doc in the West End production of Back to the Future, which is so fun. And um, he reached out and said that he'd written this film and that he'd basically been stalking, he'd done a deep dive, a Google deep dive on Mika Simmons, and that he'd come up with the solution that I was the person that should direct this film, and that it was a, a story about a woman who's having cancer treatment. And that I think the combination of the two previous films that I'd made, plus my personal experience with cancer and mm. my, my work, it's an all-female cast, I think mm-hmm. that he felt, I think appropriately, he thought that I'd be the best person to direct it. So um, we made that in May and it's currently in the edit. And Joanna Lumley is playing Mrs. Foster. And Mrs. Foster has been recently diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And while she's having her treatment, and the film is called My Week with Maisie, and it just happens over a week, she meets this young woman who has had cancer for quite a long time, this nine-year-old. And Maisie totally transforms her outlook. So it's a very uplifting film with some sadness in it too. And it's funny. It's really funny. So Mark sent it to me and it made me laugh out loud. So I'm in the edit, which is always a really scary moment, Liz, because it's such a huge responsibility to, you know, I've got all these people's careers in my hand, but I'm thrilled with what we've got. And I think actually it's going to be a, a really exceptional film. So, yeah. Wonderful. Can't wait to see it. Was it daunting directing a national treasure? Oh, I don't, I'm not sure if I was daunted. I'd met Joanna before and I think the process to casting her was so straightforward. I sent her the script and she said yes straight away. So that gave me confidence. Again, a door opening and it wasn't, Mm. I didn't have to beg. It was very, her agent emailed me immediately and said, Joanna sent me the script. We're interested. Can we talk? And I was like, that was daunting. Mm. Then I was like, oh, it's going to happen. And and Joanna, I suppose what was more daunting this was that Joanna, when Mark sent me the script, I said that these are the people that I would want to go to for Mrs. Foster. And Joanna was my number one. And of course, I yes. thought I'd need to get to number 50 before I could cast someone. <laughs> so having Joanna come back immediately and say yes. And obviously we'd, st- we'd only had half the finance raise and all sort of, that was quite daunting. Um, mm. And then my experience when I started to tell people that Joanna was going to play Mrs. Foster was that across the board, the response from other humans was she is the most phenomenal woman. And it just left me with a deep sense of 
confidence that this woman was someone who was good to work with, which you can't, I mean, I can't always say that for myself. Mm. (laughs) If my anxiety comes out, I think I can sometimes be a bit tricky, but she has got a, I mean, if she was an Uber driver, she'd like be five stars. (laughs) I'm sure she'd be thrilled to hear that. So back to The Happy Vagina. Yeah. Um, great name, obviously. It's now a new book, but it did start out as a podcast and yeah. a platform just dedicated to opening up the conversation really about women's sexual health generally. Was that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. I think I wanted to be louder. When I started the Lady Garden Foundation, which is my charity and, and, we, and we fundraise mostly for gynecological cancers, I wanted to somehow fuse my work as an entertainer and a creative and someone who'd grown a platform in women's health. And I felt a huge responsibility and a deep desire to use the platform I'd created to reach more people and to widen my personal conversation a little. So it was very much about mum and ovarian cancer and cancers in general, and still very much a part of my story and really important. But I wanted to have a, a wider and a louder conversation. And the Happy Vagina podcast was also sat in the entertainment sector. So I got to do what I love. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been working as an actress from when I was a teenager. So I'm like, how can I bring these things together so that I'm still aligned with my deepest desires in life? And the podcast is, it's got this huge following. I, I think it's huge. We've got 40,000 followers on Instagram and it's like mm. a really, it's a really passionate community. Like anything mm-hmm. I post and whenever we do the podcast, we always get loads of feedback and I absolutely love it. I love it. I love helping people. So to be able to do something that I do get, you know, paid for, we have sponsors. So I'm get I'm being paid to do something that actually helps people. And it's like amazing. Perfect. Well, we're going to take a quick ad break. And when we come back, we'll be hearing more from Mika about why keeping the vagina a taboo subject is very bad for our health. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 
Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, welcome back. And Mika, it's great to pick up, I think, the threads of vaginal health. And let's have a deep dive, I guess, into more of the practicalities of it. Why do you think is it that so many of us just don't like talking about the vagina. I mean, I, I've had conversations with my teenage boys, for example, sitting around the, the dinner table and, and they'll, I don't know, somebody will talk about a vulva or a vagina. Yeah. And Lily, my eldest, who's 31, you know, she'll go into great detail. And I remember my sitting there once with my ex and you know, he would say, oh, Lily, stop it, stop it. And she would bang the table and say, no, no, these boys need to know. They need to know the difference between a vagina and a vulva. And nobody's teaching them. They're not taught about it at school. It's all sort of snigger, snigger or a bit of porn. Mm-hmm. And she is passionate. And her sister, Brella, they're very vocal and I guess unabashed in a way that for me as their mother, a different generation yeah. would not be. So I guess... Is it hopeful that things are changing? Is there more awareness of this kind of thing? Yeah, it's absolutely changing. I think it's always important, though, to remember that your daughters have been brought up by a mother. Regardless of your experiences, Liz, you are a trailblazer. So some (laughs) of that chutzpah that they've got, I would suggest, has come from having a mother like you. And I think Emily Pine came on season two of the Happy Vagina podcast, and she teaches at universities in Ireland. She wrote this fantastic book called Notes to Self. It's an amazing kind of diary Mm. book about her teenage experiences where she was really acting out. I loved it. But she, I said to her, it's changing, isn't it? And she said, being a professor in a university, she would suggest that actually a lot of the stuff is still, I mean, she's in Ireland and I do think sometimes that Ireland is a little more Mm. repressed because of the, I would gently suggest, stroke strongly suggest because of the catholic traditions Mm -hmm. but i don't think we should ever assume that our own personal standpoint is the same as people who are in communities where misogyny and the patriarchy still rules and i think that that is the primary setting in most countries around the world, the feminism that we experience, Liz, that your daughters are part of, is in the minority. So 
I think the shame True. around genitals in general. I mean, I even, I mean, I'm like, oh, that word genitals is so ugly. I don't like it. And it's like, you know, the reason that I feel like that is because we are, I am so ashamed of, of sexuality and sexual organs. And that's because of the way it's handed to us through the church, through education. The shame is imbibed in us in quite a subconscious way. We don't even realize that we're being shamed, the teasing that can happen, the embarrassment and where mm. that stems from. And mm -hmm. and I think there's lots more work to be done. And I suppose the other thing that I say, and I don't mean to sound too sort of negative, is that we must never underestimate that things can turn backwards quite easily. We've seen it happen in other countries. Yeah. And I think what we're yeah. really, what really the underlying issue is power. And I think it takes a human being of extraordinary right-sized ego and humility to not be driven by a need to have power within their own life. And on a micro scale, what that is, is just being able to pay one's own mortgage, right? So you don't even realize that the choices that you make in order to survive in life will have a negative impact potentially on someone else. And when you take that to the macro level where you do have egomania involved, then I think we should never ever assume that the freedom that we have today won't be taken away with us because women, even though we're 51% of the population, are still described as a minority. I mean, that's just like, that's mad. true, isn't it? Hold on a moment. We're the majority, if you do yeah. the maths. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a great researcher and an academic called Catherine Blackledge. And she has written books on skirt raising, which is when the vulva and the vagina, before, you know, science came in, people really assumed that it had this really like godlike power. It's really fascinating. And, and I have to say, you've had some very fascinating guests on the Happy Vagina podcast, everybody from health experts to women's activists, actresses, athletes. How candid do you find that your guests are able to be about what is, let's face it, still considered pretty much a taboo subject? Yeah, I think it's hard. I love all of my guests, but there is definitely a different conversation with a guest who has a significant profile versus someone who would be like a blogger or more of an influencer activist type. And the ones who in the second camp are really candid. And then mm -hmm. you can always tell that the people who have a profile that they potentially might want to protect a little or a family they want to protect can be a little less open about their own personal experiences. So we'll talk about it in a roundabout way. Yes. Mind you, the Queen of Paltrow came on and there was no roundabout yes. with her. Well, I mean, she's got vagina-scented flipping candles. Vagina-scented so, candles, yeah. And yeah. jade egg yeah. jazzling and all of that. I mean, the but, biggest but shock for me, Liz, the biggest shock <laughs> for me was in season one when I had no idea where it was going to go and I opened the podcast with some kind of fun fact questions, which did involve some stats around sexual health and well-being. And it seemed to set up this forum for the podcast in season one, pretty much being all about sex. <laughs> right. To, I actually had yes. to roll it back a bit because I'm not interested in just talking about that. I think that it's really important that we understand that sexual wellness is part of health. It's part yes. of being, mm -hmm. it's part of wellness. And I actually had to reposition 
the line of questioning a little, which I really enjoyed, so that it didn't become known as the sex. Because there's a few really fun sex podcasts out there, like Sex with Emily, for example, who's been a guest. So I always make sure I do two or three episodes that are focused on sexual wellness. But I really mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that I was offering a space for women from all different backgrounds and all different religions and starts in life to come and talk about their experiences. And I think you do limit yourself if you only go down a sexual route. So it's got a combination, you know, it's got a combination. Well, it's everything, isn't it? From periods to virginity, relationships, health, gynecological issues. I mean, you can, when you think you know, every woman has a vagina. So therefore it's, you know, it's going to be very, very wide ranging, isn't it? As to what you can, I mean, where you can go with it. It's not just that every woman has a vagina. Every man has come out of a vagina. Unless <laughs> you came out through the sunroom. So let's just call it as it is. <laughs> which is the, <laughs> nobody would be here without with a vagina. <laughs> that is true. And I guess, do you learn a lot about yourself from doing it? Does it challenge you to think about relationships or sexuality in a a different way at all yeah I think it's been you know at the beginning of the of our chat Liz I said that it's sort of taken a lifetime for me to find myself and I would say that one of my deepest gratitudes to the podcast and doing it over the last two years has been that it's given me an opportunity to become a woman in my own right outside of the very kind of strong feminism of my family home And also outside of losing my mum, because for a long time, much of my messaging was around the loss of someone to a gynecological cancer. And that is no longer how I define myself in a way. I've really, I found my woman through doing the podcast, which I know Mm -hmm. might sound weird because... You think I I don't know, but then I just, Cameron Diaz was just on the Goop podcast actually. And she's talking about the fact that she's just done a deep dive, you know, in her forties and and had to really work out who she is and who she wants to be. And listening to my guests on the happy vagina has been like, oh, okay. I'm not being true to myself. Cause you have someone like Jess Megan come on, who's this young, really active feminist, really quite hardcore and, she came on and I came away feeling like, oh, I'm not being completely true to myself. I'm still coming from a place of people pleasing. I'm still coming Mm -hmm. from a slight place of codependency with the patriarchy. And what I mean by that is that sometimes I make decisions about what I'm going to wear or what I'm going to do or my next steps are actually Mm -hmm. being subtly influenced by the constraints that have been imposed on me by the patriarchy and I don't even know that I'm doing it and my guests have smashed that for me I I only Mm -hmm. do what I want to do now so that's exciting and what sort of response do you get then from those actually working within the health service and do they see this as something that can be really helpful to work alongside combating some of the challenges around women's sexual health I've only ever had really positive feedback back and I know that the team the gynecological team at, at the Chelsea Westminster Hospital like think the winding's amazing mm. um so I think it's a tricky question Liz because I do quite serious activism with Ginsburg Women's Health Board mm-hmm. and Lady Garden Foundation I think it keeps the happy vagina in while it's a quite a light and a fun podcast we do go deep and often there are some tears but essentially it's quite an upbeat inspiring podcast the point of it is to raise people's as it's done for me, as I was just describing, and the point of the podcast is to raise people's 
energy up so they feel that they can be more themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really well received within the healthcare system. You know, I think, I think, I think most nurses and doctors I know who know about it are really excited. And I've just been asked by the French embassy to go on a, a panel to talk about women's health. And that's through them listening to the happy vagina. I mean, literally I got really? an email from the women wonderful? at the French embassy saying we've been listening to your podcast. Gosh. <laughs> So Fantastic. it's working. It's working, yeah. <laughs> Well, I remember seeing a gynecological nurse not that long ago, actually, and we were talking about laser treatments for vaginal dryness and all that sort of thing. And she said, um, it's really interesting, but the one thing that every woman says at the beginning of an examination, you know, when she kind of gets her head torch on, um, is, do I look normal? And there is this whole sort of fear of, well, what does, what does normal look like? Because I guess, you know, our, our bits are always covered and we, and we don't, you know, sit around comparing them, comparing notes and, you know, examining each other. So there is that always sort of implied fear, perhaps uh, as, as a woman, when you, when you think about it with, you know, when you're exposing yourself to somebody else is, you know, what's their reaction? Does it look normal or not? Yeah. I think the most important thing there is just to reiterate as many times as we need to until we all get it is that there is no such thing as normal and I think that the fact that we've all been raised to believe that we need to fit into some kind of mold and that if we don't fit that mold then we're abnormal is one of that is the root of shame that is what keeps Mm. us living in a shame pattern Mm -hmm. that is essentially the thing that will destroy your freedom and so the more you can say to yourself, there's no such thing as normal, there's no such thing as normal. And then I guess I would come back slightly as well to what we were chatting about earlier, Liz, about being, you know, responsible for your own health. I think it would be wonderful if those women or those doctors could in- start by responding and saying, or the gynecologist rather, could start by saying, there's no such thing as normal. And then say, and, you know, you really need to get to know your own body because... Mm-hmm talking about kind of like handing our power away to ask someone who you know this is a doctor they might have their own shame about vaginas you know they may they they may have their own stuff going on even if they're a gynecologist and Mm -hmm. I just don't think it should be a question I I really I, I want to speak very gently here because I understand the sensitivity of a woman feeling that she wants to ask that and it's okay that she's done that I want to support women and I would just add to it get a effing mirror and have mm. a look and even if you've got to do it incrementally i had poppy jay and rubina changini on the podcast mm-hmm. like two seasons ago you know two asian women who they did a a partnership with a period company where they had to get their vulvas put into plaster cast oh my goodness and that is extreme yeah and they really <laughs> they were really open about how painful they found it to look at it and it's like it is painful it is painful to look at an area of a body that we have been told is ugly. And and then you have the added layer, unfortunately, which you've already referenced, which is pornography, 
where the majority of the women working in pornography have had adjustments to their labia or to parts of their... Yeah, I mean, you know, and uh, so so that they can all look the same. Of course, they've all had surgery. I mean, you know, surgery is massively on the rise. It's absolutely appalling. Is it really really funny enough? I I did actually look at a clinic, not for that. It was for something else. But I was just checking out one of the consultants, and it was the first thing on the page was um, I forget the actual term labial plasty or something. Labial plasty. Yeah, and that's being driven by porn. I think it's being driven by our complete obsession with perfectionism and that's Mm. being egged on financed by everything from tv shows like love island where you've got women wearing g-strings as bikinis through to Mm. i can't tell you what their vulva's like underneath but it suggests that that woman to me that suggests that that woman is kind of like feels comfortable enough that her labia aren't going to poke out around the side of a very tiny mm-hmm. g-string through to instagram posing through to pornography and i think that more and more we've got a kind of polarization going on kel surprise because it seems to be everywhere in the world everything's being so polarized now but you've got on the one hand you've got a massive movement of not just women but young people who are absolutely determined to shake out this kind of conventional this is what you should look like so we've got you know a lot of body acceptance stuff going on and on the other side the kind of perfectionism stuff is still really rife and what you should look like and I think again just to be gentle with it because it is a tough topic I do feel very strongly that if you have spent time had some support with counselling looked at your own vulva and the parts of it, which is the inner and outer labia and the clitoris and then the opening to the vaginal canal. If you've looked at those and you really don't feel comfortable and it's seriously impacting your mental health, then I think it is okay to, I mean, I don't want it. I'd prefer to live in a world, Liz, where, you know, all sorts of idiosyncrasies and, and brilliance within human nature and body would be celebrated and accepted. But I also think that with the pressures that people feel under, if it would make you, if you're listening, feel better to do it. But get the therapy first, you know, mm-hmm. ask your partner first what they think about it. Like, mm. you know, it's just insane to me that we've gone from breast to the vulva in terms of plastic surgery. Like breasts are no longer, you know, breast enhancements have like completely gone away. I mean, it's not a thing anymore, really, unless yes. there's an actual <laughs> problem, you know? Yes, no, you're, you're you're so right. I mean, that's all shapes and sizes and everybody seems to be perfectly happy, you know, within yeah. reason. The book that you've written, presumably your aim is to try and reach as many people as you can now, but is it primarily for women? Should we be sharing this with the guys as well? Oh, I really <laughs> want it to reach everyone. I'm like, I've written this book. Okay, so it's not very highbrow. Anyone that follows us on Instagram will know that the Instagram feed is just really loud and full of really big facts and things that you can just go, oh, that's a great fact. I'm going to put that in my pocket Mm. and talk about it at the dinner party. Like the project is about being as noisy as it possibly can to try and tip the balance in sexual, gynecological and women's health in general so that we can right-size all of the things that we've been talking about in this podcast. And the book is very much that. So it's a gift book. It's I, I have been told, mm. Liz, which I can't tell you, feels so appropriate. It's a loo book. And what better <laughs> book to make Seriously. for the vagina than a loo book? <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, full of really loud 
uh, yes. it's got illustrations uh, in it and it's not dense it's not a read you can pick it up and pull a fact out of it and mm. then take that as i said off to to meet girlfriends or dinner party and mm-hmm. and it's probably in a way it's very much a reflection of me my work in this space there's another part of me that would have wanted to write something much more deeply spiritual about the devastating things that have happened to women and really what the true goddess is but i don't feel that's what the world needs because i feel like those books i would tentatively say stay in their circle of people that are already on board you know so the reason i've done the happy vagina and made it a loo book is exactly that I really hope that it gets like stocked at Selfridges or at Dawn Books and it's sat on the counter and that mm. a man who's leaving goes, Oh my God, what's Ooh. that? And I it's have to bright. See that. Yeah, it's yeah. bright and it's fun. And he might open mm-hmm. it on one of the pages mm. and think, you know, my 16 year old daughter would love that. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to like mm-hmm. connect the dots and get it out of the man and women's space. Because while I am absolutely a women's activist, you know, Men came from women and we can't do this without men. And I love men. I love men. And one of the greatest sorrows, because you mentioned sex education and your daughters and what was taught to your daughters and why they needed to have that conversation. Like, imagine a world where boys weren't taken out of the classroom when human beings are taught about periods. Like, we all come from the fact that women have periods. That is Mm. what allows a baby to be created why are we taking boys out of the classroom mm-hmm. during that talk why is that happening and so the happy vagina book is my small donation and like hope that i will <laughs> be a part of a movement that will open the conversation up and normalize it to the extent that actually you know it will be in someone's stocking at christmas you know in some house in devon and everyone's gonna yes. see it you know like yes. that's what i want for it so for sure for sure well a great donation to humankind Thanks, definitely Thanks. mika simmons thank you so much for being with us today it's been so fun talking to you you <laughs> ask the best questions i might oh, get you to come on my, my podcast for me <laughs> have i got to have I got to talk about my vagina Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to you. 100%. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Liz. Uh, what a fun chat. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I loved recording with Mika Simmons. Thank you very much for your company today. As always, you will find more information with the links and the resources for everything that we discussed today over on lizardwellbeing.com. And there you can also sign up for the free weekly newsletter filled with plenty of tips for living well. And don't forget, much more advice, research, articles and recipes. You will find those in our bi-monthly magazine, Liz Earle Wellbeing, not available in any store. You have to subscribe. But if you're in the UK, it comes with free PMP. So just head to the website to take a look. And again, if you would like to get in touch, you can find me on social media, all the usual suspects at Liz Earle Me or the team at Liz Earle Wellbeing. Until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is a Fresh Air production, with thanks to my producers, Ellie Smith, Jesse Bent, and Sarah Moore. 
Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.